0: So, hey, thank you. I'm just going to pray quickly before I start. So, in the Anglican Church, we say before we preach. Father God, may the meditations of my mind, the words of my mouth, be pleasing to you, O Lord. And may it be useful. Amen. Amen. All right, so this morning I want to talk about how I gave up control and found a really good computer repair shop. (laughs) So, I thought I'd lead with my big guns first. And um, here's a picture of my dog. And... For some context, um, so I was yeah, I was a part of the Mosaic community in the very early days. Phil and I and some others launched Mosaic from LifePoint, and I want to say about 2007, 2008. And we launched from there. Uh, I am married to my wife, Jess. We've been married for 12 years. I've got two children, uh, Sam and Eli. And we've got a little labradoodle. Uh, he's a two-and-a-half-year-old now. But that's when he, when he was a baby, uh, he, he's adorable. Uh, a little bit about us. I guess I've taken a um, a very strange journey through Anglicanism. Um, I was ordained last year, so I do wear a collar. Uh, during the week, I have lots of cups of teas with old people, um, and all going well, providing I don't um, kind of really blow it with the bishops. I'll be ordained a priest in November this year, and we're currently in the running for a role, our first parish role, in, um, up in capity Coast. So that's a uh, kind of on the cards for us at the moment. So um, this is the community that I was a part of when I had babies, little children, so it's really nice to bring them back to you today as big people and it's lovely to see so many of your babies who are now big as well. Um, And Phil when he was kind of briefing me on this talk said, preach on something that you care about. I said I can do that. Uh, It'll be like the Facebook comment section, kind of like (laughs) unfiltered, (laughs) quickly regretted. Um, and, and deleted soon after. So we're in the uh, 16th week of ordinary time in the Anglican church. So usually I'd be wearing a green stole uh, there would be green on the altar. Uh, and I was, as I was looking at our lectionary, I was blown away again by just how spot on the, the gospel reading for this morning was to what I wanted to talk about. So I just want to take us a, uh, just a bit of time. I'm going to read this passage of scripture just to Lay out a bit of a foundation for where we're going to head this morning. And this is the story of Jesus visiting Martha and Mary. Luke ten thirty six. 36. Uh, now as they went on their way, he entered a particular village, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister, Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. However, Martha was distracted By her many tasks, so she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all of the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. However, the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken from her. Straight off the bat, I want to give a bit of context to this. Ben Witherington, the '30s, my favorite New Testament guy, says that any text taken out of context is just a pretext for making it mean whatever you want. OK? So we just need to dig a bit deeper into the story. There's some stuff going on here. There's part scandal. There's something scandalous happening in this picture. Uh, and there's societal rules being broken. And there's just the pure humanity of a sister who feels hard done by. In Middle Eastern culture, the genders were strictly separated by code. And I just want to reflect, uh, as, we, as we look at this story a little bit deeper, on just what, what divide did Mary cross to get into the position that she was in to be taught? I don't know if about this, but were women even allowed to be educated? Where women were uh, chattels, and quickly dispensed with by a, a man. Could simply divorce a woman at whim. What was Mary doing in that room? And then I think of Jesus once again, the social radical, creating a space for Mary, creating a space for learning, education. Again, countercultural Jesus, activist Jesus redefining what it means, pushing boundaries, pushing against the norm. I love Jesus. I love this about Jesus. And we can never lose sight of his activism today. This is a deeply patriarchal society. I have another question, and just about Martha's criticism. What was bubbling away in the background for her? Was this an honor society? Was she bringing... Shame. Was Mary bringing shame on the family, on the household somehow? And was that stirring Martha's criticism? Was there a a pull on Mary? Get back in line. This isn't for you. There's some really key words here being used, and they're used quite deliberately. This is a bit meta, this picture. I'm not sure why I chose this, but it's a bit Inception. Look and see where Mary is found. We find her at the feet of Jesus. Now this language, being at the foot of someone, that's really a code for a discipling relationship. And that's like, that's way more than just being a student. This is like a rabbi in those days taught the Torah and they had a real angle on Torah. And people would associate themselves with a rabbi because they wanted to get their angle on Torah, their angle on life. What is life? How are we doing it? How do you do it, Rabbi? I want to see how you do life. And Jesus is a rabbi, right? And he's doing life a particular way, and he's bringing the scriptures to life in a very unique, incredible way. He's talking about this mystical thing, this thing, the kingdom of heaven, what's that? The kingdom of heaven is like this, the kingdom of heaven is like that. And Mary is a disciple. This is no just one-off. And then we see that Mary and this group of women follow Jesus for the rest of his ministry, throughout Galilee, uh, into Jerusalem, and ultimately his crucifixion and resurrection. But along comes Martha, <laughs> and she's bent out of shape. What a way to be immortalised. <laughs> for all time, you're the sister who whinged, right? <laughs> right back at uh, like one of the first things to form in the brain, uh, right back here is the uh, hippophenus, <laughs> right? right by the hippocampus. And it's re- responsible for like respiratory function and recognising if your brother has more coke than you do. <laughs> One of the first things we do is, as siblings is go, is it, is it equal, is it fair? And we do that. And here we have uh, Jesus' beautiful response Martha, mother. The tenderness is clear in the text. Jesus says her name twice. It's pastoral. Martha, you're a busy and distracted person. And I just want to uh, suggest this morning that Martha is actually an archetype. She's an archetype for us. In the West, she's an archetype for how we're living our lives. And we need to learn something. There's something being said in the story to us today. Busy, distracted souls. Pulled in different directions. Yeah. Brené Brown puts it really uh, beautifully. Um, she talks about we are the most addicted, the most drugged, the most medicated cohort that has ever lived. And this is ridiculous. We live in the most modern time, the most stunning time. We have so much automation. We have tools that can do everything. We don't have scarcity of food. And we're an unhappy people. Yeah? I did a religious studies paper earlier this year and I looked at the suicide stats and I looked at uh, th- this massive drop off in mental health. And I looked at also um, sorry, the increase in suicide and the decline in spirituality throughout the West. Yeah. There is something going on here. We should be living lives of bliss and we're miserable and we're hurting ourselves to escape internal pain. So we're living in a world of busy. We're living in a world of stress. We're living in a world of uh, distraction. And I see parents projecting this onto their kids. We um, <laughs> You spot this at the school gate where you try to do a, a, a play date. Sorry, we can't do a play date. We've got piano on Monday afternoon for gifted piano kids, we've got swimming on Tuesday, we've got soccer practice on Wednesday, we've got language on Thursday, Friday we've got this thing, Saturday the actual soccer game, Sunday's church, Monday's (laughs) counselling. Like, (laughs) Even our kids are busy and stressed and anxious, we're kids with anxiety, we're projecting this onto even our young people. And my my take on stress, and certainly my experience of stress, is that it's like the lobster in the pot. You're sitting in the pot, the temperature's going up, 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 and then you're dead. It's like a rubber band. right? Pull, 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 snap. Snap. Something snaps. You've hit someone. You've hit a thing. You've hit the wall. You've hit a kid. You've yelled, you've you've done damage. Relationships are getting damaged. So I want to talk a little bit about um, my story. So this is me and my two kids, and this is about 2013, I think. It's overlooking the airport in Miramar. So I don't know if you've ever had a really banner year, a really awesome year, a really stunning year. Well, my year was not. <laughs> this. Uh, 2014 was my year. And I've heard that there are, um, I think as, a, as, a, as people, we have the capacity to handle about one major stressor at a time maybe two, and this was the year that I had five, five major stressors, massive stressors, all piling up on top of one another, so number one was I was being sued, right, I own a business, and when you're in business, it's just cut and thrust, cut and thrust all the time, and I had a major falling out with my business partner, yeah, and it was horrible, he lawyered up, I lawyered up, he got a QC, I didn't get a QC. I couldn't afford a QC. (laughs) And we went to war. A friend of mine (laughs) calls when people go to engage in sort of litigation with one another, it's just legalized violence. it is. You are just duking it out, trying to destroy the other person. I think you have a right nose. So that was going on. And and that QC who was going after me eventually became a High Court judge. So he was absolutely top of his game. He knew how to hurt people. (laughs) So I had that going on. Very stressful. Um, at the same time, and I've got Sam's permission to say this, Sam was diagnosed with autism. And that came on the back of just us parenting hard for about five, six, seven years. We are just exhausted. We, just, we didn't know what we were doing, we were floundering, we, we were out of our depth and, and we got this diagnosis. Right. We've now got a child with special needs. Um, Jess and I were just in a terrible way, our marriage sucked. Um, there was not a lot of peace in our house, not a lot of love, Jess had a, 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 with all that stress that was going on, Jess had a breakdown, there was too much going on, so our, our home was not a happy home. Uh, and I was working myself to death to keep this business going, and it was running on debt, just filled with debt, filled with promises, um, which we, would, we were falling short on. Um, and I think we were technically insolvent for a fair chunk of that time <laughs> as well, so yeah, we kept trading, and we traded out. And then just to add some more texture, then the final kind of stab for me was my mum was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer and she eventually died. Yeah, Five things. <laughs> so that was my year. So by the end of 2014, how did I look? Uh, what did I look like at the end of that? So I, every morning, this is what would happen, I'd wake up in the morning and, and sleep was like my release. I just got to be unconscious for a short time and then I'd wake up in the morning and it was just like, yeah. head would get off the pillow and just poof, anxiety would just fall out of the sky onto my mind and my spirit, I'd just be crushed by the enormity of the challenges that I was facing at that time. Uh, so what came with that? Well, first of all, I'd be usually be hit by just this massive headache, headaches were immediate, uh, and then nausea, so I was vomiting. So I'd get up in the morning, I'd try to have some breakfast and I'd probably vomit in the sink or dry reach. And then I'd try to get to work and I'd try and do some work in the morning and I'd be really, really upset and upset stomach. And I'd um, I'd throw up a few times in the morning. Um, and I was having heart palpitations. I was like fluttering heart. I could actually feel my heart racing all the time. And like a, a, a feel like an irregular rhythm. I remember I got really freaked out one day. I had to go to see a GPEG and an ECG. I just felt like my heart was all over the place. So it's pretty wrecked. Uh, and so I did what any sensible spiritual Christian would do and I worked harder. doubled down. <laughs> just got to beat this. If I work harder, I can beat this. You know? So I just worked harder. 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Uh, I, I, can, I can control this. I can manage this. And then one, one night I didn't. And I snapped. You know? And I got this laptop. And I remember Jess and I were having a fight or something. And I just got this laptop and I stood up and I just went, and I threw this laptop across the room. And it's it a $4,000 Mac laptop. And hence I had to find a good laptop repair shop. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. I was out of cope. No more cope. Yeah, no more pretending. So I ended up uh, seeing a doctor. And I was diagnosed with this massive hypertension. I had uh, blood pressure in the high one hundred seventies. So it was 170 over 110 uh, Norm was 110, over 70 or 80. And I was a very unwell person. And then I got uh, shipped off from the doctor to the cardiologist. I had to get my heart checked out, because like, what damage had I been doing to myself? And I had, um, MRIs and stuff. And then I had to go and see a psychiatrist. So um, <laughs> that was humbling. Sitting in the kind of waiting room to lower heart mental health. So, yeah, that was a humbling moment. And then finally a spiritual director. <laughs> start putting this mess, this hot mess back together. So so that was it. That was 2014 for me. <laughs> so we were not a happy family. Yeah. What the hell, and I use that word very deliberately, had been going on for me? I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. <laughs> What's going on here? Right? This is not kingdom living. Um, this is not what God desired for me. This is not. This is not well, and when I look at the world, I honestly see too many people working themselves to death. Now, I, In my business, the business side of my world, I look after a lot of law firms and I see, particularly in professional services, just this grind. People in the legal industry working themselves to death. Yeah. Um, distracted, distressed does anyone relate I mean has anyone else related to or this, seen this going on and it's just the same in the church we're no better in the church it's just the same in academia I was talking to my friend he's a professor the the in- incredible pressure that he works like a um, like the owner of a law firm it is so competitive and so nasty in academia it's brutal the, the comp- competition for jobs and competition for grants um, It's the same in the workplace, obviously, and and most distressingly, I see misery in the um, pews. As a a, working in the church, I see misery in the clergy. No one's immune to this. So something has gone really, really really wrong. So it took for me, I guess, a major crisis of health, uh, a major crisis in my family, and about two years to thoroughly detox from this way of living. I couldn't do it anymore. Completely unsustainable. Um, and, and I realised that I was using my talents and, uh, to manipulate. I was using my God-given talents to um, eke out more time to try and control things. Um, and I, and I realised that I was an addict. complete addict. Right? I was doing this to myself. I was making a decision to, to be in control. I was addicted to control. I was addicted to the feeling of being in control. And I would not give it up. And and, and, contr- and the feeling of anxiety is just that, that being chased down by the fact that you're not in control. <laughs> yeah. Do you look at the world and see a world that's in control and under control? I don't. It's not in control. Um, I don't see people, places or things that I can control anymore. Yeah. So here I was, I'm age 37, I'm sick as a dog. Um, I'm sick of mind, ill of spirit. And I'm running an empty. So it's 2016, we'll jump forward. And I haven't been able to work uh, for a couple of years. I really take nine months sabbatical and then go back part time. And I'm a pretty broken down wreck. And I'm sitting in this uh, shed in Kapiti with my spiritual director. Surrounded in book by books, this beautiful little kind of den, this little man cave. And I'm looking into one of the kindest faces I've ever seen. And my spiritual director, Andrew, is just eyeballing me. And he's got this <coughs> I don't know if you've ever engaged in spiritual direction. The thing about spiritual direction is when you turn up, like, you just blurt the mother load of crap, like, it's just like you vomit up all this words and you get out on the table and then the unfortunate thing is those sessions are usually about an hour and a half long, so it was just like lots of silence and silence was, <laughs> you, it was I was so uncomfortable with silence, I hate silence and so we're sitting here. With, I've said my bit, and Andrew just sits there, reflects just like that <laughs> and I just want to fill every space with noise, I want to fill every space with words and while I think that I'm being spiritual and how look, I'm engaging in this process, I'm just unravelling on the inside. Silence does something to me. It forces me to actually feel what's going on in that natural state. I'm unravelling. I remember one time, I remember this so plainly, I said to him, Andrew, don't you feel stressed? <laughs> don't you get stressed? Like, And it's this, these eyes look back at me and say, Simon, Can I be honest with you? I haven't felt stress in years. I can't remember the last time I felt stressed. What? (laughs) You live a life with no stress? I didn't know that was an option. I just didn't know that was an option. I didn't know it was possible. And and I realised that I'd given myself permission for years to operate in a way of stress. And here was a person who was telling me and showing me, you don't have to live that way. Actually, it's not spiritual. (laughs) It is not spiritual to live in a state of stress. If you think you're spiritual but have stress and this level of anxiety, you're not spiritual. You're not hugely challenging. So I see this other kind of life, this other kind of way, start to open up. The way that does not submit to stress and anxiety. A couple of things here couple of clues that are quite helpful for me number one God is not stressed (laughs) God is not stressed God does not have anxiety he is not stressed about the state of the cosmos he is not stressed about the the state of the world God has seen the end (laughs) we're the ones running around trying to fix it all up God is not stressed So I have to do some real theology. I've got to go back and, and, and revisit some foundational errors. Yeah. Number one, I used to think that faith was about the absence of doubt. Faith was about believing things like persevering, grittily hanging on to beliefs in the face of overwhelming odds. Yeah. I no longer believe that. Faith is, is that. I think faith is the dawning reality of seeing God Sorry, seeing the world from God's perspective. Look at Jesus, right? Look at Rabbi Jesus. He's just sitting there and he's explaining, hey, this is how the world really is. This is how the world actually is. Some of the people who you think are at the top are actually at the bottom. Some of the people who are at the bottom are actually at the top. This is how God sees the world. Everything I needed... To live an anxiety-free life was written in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way of Jesus. This is what the rabbi teaches. The rabbi teaches peace and a way to do life that is well. So when you worship at the altar of busy, when you worship at the feet of stress, there is no room for God. Right. And we sanctify it and we justify it and we and we even do a lot of Christian stuff and absorb stress and make a lot of even our God stuff busy. And when we do that, it's idolatry. Yeah? It's idolatry. If you're not doing the better thing. Yeah. another bit of theological work I had to do and, and really get my head around And I thought I knew this. And, and to deeply get to a relaxed point about the state of the cosmos was to understand that the part of me that is eternal, the part of me that is most precious, the part of me that is now call it the spirit. It's safe. It's safe from death. Not even death can harm it. That is to be very, very safe. So if you believe that you are truly, truly safe from death, what can hurt you? Suddenly the cosmos, the planet, becomes a very safe place to operate from. Nothing can get you. Death didn't even get my mum. Death hasn't hurt a single person. That is a safe place to operate from. That is a, a secure and sure-footed place to operate in the world from to know that you're, you're safe. Safer than you can ever know. Safer than you can imagine. Now that gives you freedom. If there's a transaction that occurs there. Then there's freedom. So today, then, is just another day in eternity. Today is just another day in eternity. Okay. So that changes my day. That changes my outlook. So this is where I landed. To help me get off this crazy stress train, this faith journey, the Christian journey, is in fact the path of discipleship. The path of discipleship into the ways of the Rabbi Jesus. The way of peace. The way of starting to understand the world, as it truly is, it really is, from God's perspective. So the cosmos uh, uh, and the the planet, the, the world, the earth we enjoy, was prepared for you. Lovingly. Uh, It was a place made for you to thrive. It was to uh, adopt a posture of human thriving, not just existing. And to to fully embrace that, to fully get into that mode, we need to follow the teachings of the rabbi. I want to give you something really practical. Just one tool that I have uh, used as a family. And it's, it's birthed in scripture, right back in the early, but it says, on the seventh day, he, God, rested from all of his activities. He rested. God rests. And it was codified and became a commandment. And it's the commandment we break the most, right? We don't do it. We don't Sabbath. We don't take a day out one day a week. So my antidote to stress, one of the things that I've had to do and have to build in to my life, has been a day of true rest. And I just want to challenge and leave you with this challenge. Um, for us, on a Saturday, it's our pajama day. And we don't get out of bed till late, we blob, we watch too much Netflix, we eat bad food, we make terrible parenting decisions. <laughs> just abysmal parenting decisions. But what happens is that we can operate at a high level during the week and give it and just push ourselves a little bit harder because there is a day coming where we don't and we just blob. And we're building a rhythm into our days, a, b- a rhythm into our lives that gives us true rest, true break. And it has been an absolute key to unlocking wellness in our family and building a really healthy family culture. So, to quote the prophet Tyler Durden from Fight Club, <laughs> we need to escape the life of Buying stuff we don't need with money we don't have. That was prophetic. (laughs) And a great film. Martha was so busy, she missed the Jesus right then and there. She made herself busy. She did the right thing. She couldn't make peace with the fact that it would have been okay if she was serving up leftovers. It's It's okay to have leftovers. Yeah. She missed the Jesus, the, the teaching of the rabbi right then, this precious moment. She could have heard and been at the feet of Jesus and adopted a posture of the disciple. But instead, we do the right thing. We get bound in societal expectations. But the rabbi teaches another way. I want to be Mary. I want to discover again that Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. Do you believe that? <laughs> He was the smartest person who ever lived. And he had a lot to say about how humans are living their lives. Yeah. I don't want to miss what the rabbi's saying. I want to be in his presence. I want to set his feet. I don't want to miss what he's saying. I want to choose the better thing and it will not be taken from me. Thanks. That's all I've got. Um but I'll close in prayer and maybe we can have some question time if we've got time. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Father God, I want to uh, pray for this community. I want to pray that this would be a lifeboat for people in the world who are escaping hectic, frazzled lives. I want to pray, God, that this community would be a community of deep peace and that it would be salt life and a, just a deeply attractive group of people to a world that is, has lost its way and is frenetically stressed. And God, I want to pray that we as a group of people would be people who relinquish the sin of control and admit it. and Admit that we like that feeling. But it's sin. And there would be people who release a go of the idolatry. God, let us choose the better thing. For we know it will not be taken from us. In your mighty name, your powerful name, Jesus, we ask this. Amen.